from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm not too terrible. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm good. I, I, at least I hope I am. <laughs> so, anyway, we're recording a couple of shows a little bit in advance right now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, uh, fall appears to have finally hit here for real. We've had thunderstorms, lightning, rain. Temperature has dropped like 40 degrees over the course of a couple of days. So, um, I actually have a Pendleton shirt on. Ooh. So, um Anyway, so, so yeah, I think we are in fall officially. It's it's always nice. So I'm um, trying, still, still trying to get in the spirit here. So I still don't have my Halloween decorations out. Uh, it really is getting to the point where Kylie and I were joking, like, should we just go straight to Christmas? <laughs> do, oh please, do three months of Christmas. <laughs> it's- it's only the beginning of October. Yeah, but <laughs> plenty it's, of time. Yeah, we have a lot of Halloween stuff though, so it's it's one of those situations that to put it all out and get it all in the places that we like it and organize it, it might just be easier to skip straight to Christmas. Mm. So yeah, I'm I'm not putting them up for a couple of weeks when I get back, but. Um. But now I have to give Halloween its due. Yeah, I I, I think I'm still gonna decorate the outside of my house and you know get the <laughs> get the the squares of hay and throw some pumpkins and gourds and decorations outside. But inside, I might just might secretly go into Christmas early. So <laughs> I mean, it's, I still you got the nightmare before Christmas stuff kind of bordering uh, both holidays, even though. I've made it very clear that I believe it is first and foremost a, a Christmas movie, not a Halloween movie. But yeah, I'll, I agree. I'll give myself a little bit of a leeway on that. So, but yeah, I'm. It, it's hard. I feel like every single day I'm like I'm gonna finally get everything together and finally get in the the fall and autumn and Halloween spirit. I just I just can't get there. So maybe one day, or maybe yeah. not at all this year. Oh, I'm sure you will. Once the temperature dips below, I don't know, 90? 80, 88 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> uh, well, well, because I am on the Dreams Unlimited Travel Adventures by Disney London Paris Adventure this week and next, Craig and I are sharing episodes from deep within the bowels of the Dis Unplugged archives. Craig selected these episodes and managed to avoid the crocodiles while swimming the security moat that mm-hmm. surrounds the Dis Unplugged archives. So good for you, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> there. So, 
So, this week's episode is from the January 31st, 2016 episode of my Disneyland at 60 series titled, Happy Haunts Finally Materialize. So, Craig, what possessed you to select this episode? Well, I mean, I felt like we needed at least one throwback episode for uh, for the Halloween season, and considering... Uh, Considering that's coming up here really quickly, well, it is already in that, but Halloween itself is coming up quickly. It felt like the right time to kind of have that that spookier episode be in here. So, it, to me, it felt like it was uh, it was a absolute kind of shoe in for something that we need. It's it's an excellent episode, and then if we really need to stretch out the reason, you know, we can also say that it was uh, still, you know, Claude Coates had his hand in the haunted mansion we can say it's it's still a a celebration of the claude Coates book getting its funding and and going into production so absolutely yeah so but yeah very excited very excited about yeah that. no but it's uh you know it any all of your disneyland 60 episodes in that series that you did they were all fantastic but uh, you know Haunted Mansion is just so important to so many people, especially this time of year, that uh, if if people weren't listening back then, then uh, hopefully they'll be able to discover it now and, and really dive in deeper with some of your other episodes in that series. I hope so. Thank you. Well, shake off your mortal coils and join the happy haunts in this celebration of the history of the Haunted Mansion. Uh, since 1962, the stately Antebellum Mansion stood quietly on the shore of the Rivers of America. Um, her locked doors and shuttered windows left guests guessing what awaited them inside and speculating as to how soon the mansion's doors would finally be open to them. Now, while Disney had planned to include a haunted house attraction years before Disneyland was built, uh, the concept of the Haunted Mansion had been under development for 12 years, and different ideas were discussed and developed, but none of them excited Walt. So it shouldn't be a big surprise to hear that this first post-Walt Disney attraction was burdened with discord and controversy. Now, as we've discussed in previous episodes of 60 Years of Disneyland, Walt's enthusiasm for Disneyland was in part due to his ability to tell stories in three dimensions rather than two, which is one of the reasons the first Imagineers had backgrounds in motion picture production and applied the art of filmmaking to this new concept of designing the Disneyland theme park. And just like Walt's animated films, the new attractions were storyboarded with Walt performing the rides from start to finish, just as he would act out all parts for the cartoon shorts and feature-length animated films. Now, one of Marvin Davis's first assignments was to assist with preparing concept renderings for the new park. In his early layout designs for Main Street USA, the land included a residential area behind the east side of Main Street. And this small avenue dead-ended at a dilapidated, foreboding haunted house on a hill overlooking the the turn-of-the-century Main Street Midwestern residential area. And Harper Goff was tasked with drawing the very first rendering of a haunted house at Disneyland, which he titled Church, Graveyard, and Haunted House. 
And this sketch showed a ramshackle Victorian on a hill overlooking an overgrown cemetery and a quaint small-town church. Now, this residential street would be replaced by other ideas over time, including an International Street, Liberty Street, and Edison Square, none of which were built at Disneyland. However, their concepts would contribute to lands and attractions in other Disney parks yet to come. Now, when Disneyland opened in 1955 and soon became a success, Walt began to think about plans for expanding the park. In 1957, Walt revisited the Haunted House attraction and assigned the project to Ken Anderson, who was a top Disney animator who had come over to Wed Enterprises. Now, the reason for Walt assigning the Haunted House to Ken was because Ken had shown his expertise at combining fear with enjoyment as one of the lead designers on two Fantasyland dark rides that were based on Disney's animated films. Snow White's Scary Adventures, and Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. So when Walt was first... So I should say, so when Walt was first thinking again about the haunted house, um, he, he thought, well, rather than building the haunted house as part of Main Street USA, he selected a site at the southwest corner of Frontierland in an area called Magnolia Park. Now, Magnolia Park was one of those quiet little areas of Disneyland filled with shade trees, park benches, and a bandstand. And Magnolia Park also served as a transition between the Swift Chicken Plantation Restaurant and Adventureland's Jungle Cruise. So Walt's long-range plans called for transforming Magnolia Park and the surrounding area into a New Orleans-themed area as part of Frontierland. Now, the southern atmosphere was not new for Frontierland. The Aunt Jemima Pancake House, now the Riverbell Terrace, featured graceful wrought iron balconies on its second floor. And the Swift Chicken Plantation Restaurant, located further west on the banks of the Rivers of America, served Southern-style food in a plantation-style mansion. And a facade similar to the Swift Chicken Plantation Restaurant would be recreated for the Blue Bayou Restaurant Terrace in a few years. Now, Walt decided to expand the theme by adding several new attractions, restaurants, and shops to create a new land, New Orleans Square. And guests first learned about New Orleans Square in 1958, when the land appeared on the Disneyland Souvenir Fun Map. And guests could expect to see a wax museum, a thieves' market, and in the very center, a haunted house, along with new shops and restaurants. So during an interview with the BBC in London, Walt mentioned the project, and he expressed sympathy for all of the ghosts displaced from their ancestral homes during the London Blitz of World War II and the new construction of modern housing. So Walt then announced that he planned to build a sort of retirement home at Disneyland for all the world's homeless spirits. In the interview, Walt said, the nature of being a ghost is that they have to perform, and therefore they need an audience. At that time, Walt had no idea the thought of a retirement home for ghosts would become very important to the haunted house story many years later. To keep with the antebellum period immediately after the Civil War, 
Ken Anderson researched the great plantation homes of the Old South. But interestingly, Ken got the inspiration for his final design from the Shipley Lidecker House in Baltimore, Maryland, after seeing a photo of it in a book of Victorian-era design in the studio library, which is now the Walt Disney Imagineering Research Library. In 1958, as story concepts for the haunted mansion or the haunted house were in discussion, Ken drew a rough pencil sketch of a decaying antebellum mansion with overgrown landscape, foreboding trees dripping with Spanish moss, and bats circling above in dark clouds. And Ken's sketch was handed off to fellow Imagineer and artist Sam McKim, who turned the sketch into a painting. Now, the painting would become the mansion's official portrait, so you've all seen this several times. But everyone who saw this new concept for the haunted house loved it. Except for one very important person, Walt Disney. Even though all concepts for the haunted house, going back to Harper Goff's first rendering, had depicted a menacing haunted house, Walt did not like the idea of a broken-down, ramshackle plantation house set in the middle of a swamp for Disneyland. So when Walt was first conceiving his ideas for what he wanted and didn't want in Disneyland, he visited many amusement parks throughout the United States and Europe. A park that left a very positive impression with Walt was Tivoli Gardens in Copenhagen, Denmark. And Walt especially appreciated its friendly architectural style, lush landscaping, and cleansiness, which he wanted for Disneyland. And this led Walt to famously say, We'll take care of the outside and let the ghosts take care of the inside. So Ken decided to focus his attention on the interior of the mansion. As the Imagineers brainstormed ideas for the mansion... Ken decided to take a weekend trip to Northern California and see the famous Winchester Mystery House in San Jose. Have any of you been to the Winchester Mystery House? No, it's on my it's bucket on our list. list. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah, the, the Winchester Mystery House is definitely worth a visit if you're a fan of the Haunted Mansion or just spook houses in general. So what I want to do now is take a quick visit there to make sure everyone is familiar with the house and how it figures in our story. So after the premature death of her infant daughter, Annie, and 15 years later, the death of her son, William Wirt Winchester, son of the manufacturer of the Winchester repeating rifle, who in, he died from tuberculosis, Sarah Winchester sought help from a spiritualist. Now, reportedly, the Boston medium consulted by Mrs. Winchester explained that her family and her fortune were being haunted by spirits, in fact, by spirits of the American Indians, Civil War soldiers, and others killed by Winchester rifles. Now, supposedly, the untimely deaths of her daughter and husband were caused by these spirits, and it was implied that Mrs. Winchester might be the next victim. However, the medium also claimed that there was an alternative. Mrs. Winchester was instructed to move west and appease the spirits by building a great house for them. As long as construction of the house never ceased, Mrs. Winchester could rest assured that her life was not in danger. And building such a house 
was even supposed to bring her eternal life. So Mrs. Winchester traveled out west and purchased land and an unfinished farmhouse in the Santa Clara Valley for her home. She did not use an architect, um, but and she added on to the building in a haphazard fashion. Um, she'd hired carpenters and worked on the house day and night until it became a seven-story mansion. But because it was built in such a haphazard manner, the home contains numerous oddities, such as doors and stairs that go nowhere, windows overlooking other rooms, and stairs with odd-sized risers. And many stories attribute these oddities to Sarah Winchester's belief in ghosts. Now, the home retains unique touches that reflect Mrs. Winchester's beliefs and her reported preoccupation with warding off malevolent spirits. Now, these spirits are said to have directly inspired her as to the way the house should be built through nightly seances Mrs. Winchester held in a specially designed seance room. The number 13 and spiderweb motifs, which carried spiritual significance for her, occur throughout the house. For example, an expensive imported chandelier that originally had 12 candle holders was altered to accommodate 13 candles. Wall clothes hooks are in multiples of 13, and a spiderweb pa- uh, pattern stained glass window contains 13 colored stones. And the sink drain covers also have 13 holes. So after seeing the Winchester Mystery House, Ken Anderson had his inspiration for developing Disneyland's Haunted House. All he needed was a good ghost story. And thus was born the legend of Captain Gore. Ken's first creative treatment for the haunted house in February 1957. The story was set inside the manor of an old sea captain who had disappeared under mysterious circumstances many years earlier. Upon entering the house, a group of around 40 guests would be greeted by a maid or butler who would walk them to a moving platform, taking them down into the basement where the tour of the house would begin. This servant would point out secret passageways, changing portraits, and inanimate objects springing a life along the way to the picture gallery, where the guests were handed off to another servant for the rest of the tour. This old house retainer, Beauregard the butler, would relate the tale of Captain Bartholomew Gore and his ill-fated wife, Priscilla, who in one version of the story died at the hands of the captain. As guests walked from room to room, various special effects and illusions would advance the story of the captain and his wife. Ken wrote several versions of this story, and another version said the captain was so overcome with grief for killing his wife that he hung himself from the rafters in the attic. So as we go through this, you're going to start seeing or hearing story elements that actually were were put in the haunted mansion, ultimately. So about a month later, Ken wrote a completely new version of his haunted house story. In this version, a guide welcomed guests to Bloodmere Manor, a hundred-year-old southern mansion that Walt had moved in its entirety to Disneyland for New Orleans Square. The house was the estate of the unfortunate Blood family, whose owners died sudden and violent deaths. 
Their unhappy ghosts remained in the house to fulfill the uncompleted missions of their lives. According to Ken's story, the construction crew had planned to completely restore the manor to its original splendor, but prankish spirits constantly undermined their work by breaking windows, trashing furniture, and smashing holes in walls. In August 1957, Ken had another version of the story, this time with guests being welcomed by a recording of Walt Disney himself. Their guide would be quickly snatched by a great hairy arm and hand, and for the remainder of the tour, a lonesome ghost would escort guests through the manor until they came upon the ghostly residents gathering for an elaborate wedding celebration. The narration in this version had a lighter tone and was filled with puns, but it still wasn't what Walt Disney wanted. So, in September 1957, Ken had yet another version of the Haunted House story. He retained the greeting by Walt, the hairy arm, and the lonesome ghost. But for this version, Ken looked to the Fantasyland dark rides he had developed so successfully and the studio's animated features for additional source material. Ken found what he thought to be the perfect fit. 1949's The Adventure of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. This film had already inspired the popular Mr. Toad's Wild Ride attraction, so Ken looked to the second and darker half of the film for his inspiration, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. For this story, the climax of the haunted house experience would take place in a conservatory overlooking the graveyard behind the house. The Headless Horseman's midnight arrival just outside the conservatory would be the signal to begin the wedding party between Monsieur Bogeyman and Mademoiselle Vampire. The guests would include Dracula, Frankenstein, and Great Caesar's Ghost. Many of the illusions and special effects would be remarkably similar to some we see in the Haunted Mansion today. The bride, though, would turn the celebration into chaos when she got cold feet and left the groom at the altar. Our tour guide would then manage to escort the guests to the safety of New Orleans Square through a secret passageway in the fireplace. Ken and a team of Imagineers took the concepts from this last version of the Haunted House story in October 1957 and began working on a series of mock-ups. In early 1959, Walt recruited studio artists Rolly Crump and Yale Gracie for the Haunted House project. Walt knew that Rolly's boyhood hobby had been magic and recreating famous stage illusions. Walt also liked Rolly's unusual mobiles and kinetic sculptures that he would create. So Walt knew Rolly would be the perfect person to tell Disneyland's three-dimensional stories. Yale was a background artist and layout designer with a reputation as a mechanical genius and master model builder. Walt thought Rolly and Yale were kindred spirits and teamed them up to work on illusions for the haunted house attraction. The two illusioneers spent most of 1959 together in a large room on the second floor of the animation building. They brought in everything that had been developed for the Haunted Mansion so far and used it all as inspiration for new concepts and special effects and got more inspiration from reading ghost stories. 
Rowley and Yale created and tested enough special effects to fill the entire haunted house, including gags in which portraits and marble busts followed guests' every move, and a projection illusion that would eventually become known as the Leota effect. At the end of 1959, Rowley and Yale staged their own mock-up of the haunted house attraction on one of the newly constructed sets for Walt Disney's Zorro television series. In their demonstration, a murderous sea captain's ghost, covered with seaweed and dripping water from a tropical storm, appeared out of thin air. The ghost of his slain wife, whom the captain had bricked up behind a wall in this version of the story, materialized and flew toward him before both disappeared. The captain dissolved in a pool of seawater, flooding the chamber. The water then dried up before the guest's eyes, leaving only a few puddles where he had been standing. And you can hear Rolly Crump talk about his work on the Haunted Mansion and more in my February 22nd, 2015 Windows on Main Street episode with Rolly on the Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition. And as spectacular as this scene was, Disneyland executives thought the two to four minutes needed to reset just this one scene each time was too long. Plus, Walt wasn't still completely sold on the show. Now, was it the story or special effects so much that were giving him pause? He no longer thought staging the haunted house as a walkthrough attraction was the way to go. Additionally, Walt was still not happy with the concept showing a dilapidated exterior for the haunted house. So with a story not yet finalized, hit or miss special effects, and operational concerns, Walt put the haunted house on indefinite hold. Well, in 1961, the South rose again along the shores of the rivers of America as the construction of New Orleans Square and the renamed Haunted Mansion began both of which had been on the Disneyland souvenir map since 1958. It was announced that the Haunted Mansion would open in two years, 1963. For more on the construction and opening of New Orleans Square, please listen to the 60 Years of Disneyland episode for July 12, 2015, Disneyland and Pix- Dixieland and Pixie Dust. 1963 came and went. But all there was to see of the Haunted Mansion was its facade, with nothing inside. The Haunted Mansion was a stately southern plantation house with a striking resemblance to Ken Anderson's original sketch, with one difference. The Imagineers were indeed taking care of the outside, just as Walt Disney had directed. Walt, always the showman, put a teaser out in front of the mansion to build excitement and anticipation in guests. A sign with text written by new Imagineering recruit Marty Scalar was posted outside the mansion's wrought iron fence, inviting spooks from around the world to take up residency in the ghostly retirement home. Yet again, the haunted mansion and New Orleans Square were put on hold. Walt put all of Wed's resources, including everyone on the Haunted Mansion team, to one of the biggest projects of Walt's career, the 1964-65 New York World's Fair. And yes, in the 60 Years of Disneyland, April 19th, 2015 episode, The World's Fair Comes to Disneyland, you can learn more about how the World's Fair changed Disneyland and the theme park industry. 
After the World's Fair, Walt Disney and his Imagineers turned their attention back to Disneyland projects that had been in a pipeline before the fair. With the popularity of Disneyland, executives insisted any new attractions had to handle not just hundreds of guests per hour, but thousands of guests per hour. So plans for the Haunted Mansion still showed it as a walkthrough attraction. But to handle more guests, Imagineers drew up plans for two identical walkthrough sequences, each occupying half of one large show building that would be built outside the Disneyland's berm, where there was more room. And that is why there are two elevator shafts were built. So as the show concept changed for the Haunted Mansion, so did some of the members of the team. Ken Anderson returned to the studio when Wed began working on the World's Fair. So Walt assigned animator and Imagineer Mark Davis and background artist Claude Coates to the project. Mark focused on creating the mansion's ghostly inhabitants and a variety of gags and scenes in which they would play. In a story treatment dated July 27, 1964, Mark replaced the lonesome ghost with a disembodied ghost host to narrate the walking tour of the mansion. A live but silent butler character would physically escort guests through scenes, including the elongating room, the portrait gallery, a room filled with oversized furnishings, paintings, and sculptures, and home of the most dangerous ghost in the mansion, who climbs out of his picture to mingle with guests until he has turned one of them into a ghost. There was a seance room and a ghost club room, which served as a meeting place for retired ghosts to fulfill Walt's original vision for the mansion, and a room with a garden view where a great evil has taken place, the murder of a bride and her fiancé, according to the ghost host. Guests soon discover the most dangerous ghost in the mansion is actually the ghost host himself. So, and um, guests soon discover, as I said, the most dangerous ghost in the mansion is actually the ghost host himself, who then materializes out of the raging rainstorm outside using Rowley and Yale's effect from their 1959 mock-up. The ghost host then tells guests it was in this very room where he murdered the young bride and her beloved, reviving another Ken Anderson story element. Guests are directed to safety and escape through a secret panel in a bookshelf by a talking raven. Claude Coates used his background artist experience to focus on designing the mansion's interior, constructing lavish sets on which Mark's ghostly characters could perform. Walter brought animator Exitentio over to Wed to work on storyboards and scripts for Primeval World and Pirates of the Caribbean. Walt thought X would be a natural for the haunted mansion. Walt reassigned Rolly Crump and Yale Gracie to the Haunted Mansion project, and together with Mark Davis, Claude Coates, and Exitentio, they all pitched their own version of the Haunted Mansion story to Walt. Rolly had realized that everyone was thinking of the mansion as a typical haunted house, a concept that he found a bit corny. Rolly didn't want the mansion to be based on heavily used cliches, so he set to work on his unique take on the mansion. 
Rolly was inspired by some films like Jean Cocteau's 1964 film Beauty and the Beast and Federico Fellini's Juliet of the Spirits. Rolly's renderings included arms coming out of the walls to hold torches and faces over the fireplace that blew smoke at guests as they walked by. He drew a character named Candleman with fingers made of candles, which was dripping down. He appeared to be melting right in front of guests. When Rowley presented his ideas, Walt responded, This stuff is really weird, Rowley. What in the hell are we going to do with it? I, I'm not sure, Walt, Rowley replied. Maybe I'm just thinking of Walt going, thinking, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Where did he come up with these ideas? Yeah, and, and this was one until he makes sense. He came up with them from those two movies because yeah. they're weird movies. Yeah, I love the Beauty and the Beast one. I saw. I that do too. At university, it's beautiful. I don't know if it's out there, um, but if you can get it off Netflix or something, it's it's really worth watching. Definitely. Okay. And um, but yeah, and and this where this takes place in is it's it's it was a large conference room, and all the Imagineers had all their materials and renderings for the concepts of the haunted mansion. Everyone at Walt had assigned to the project. Well, nobody knew what to do about Rolly. They'd all been saying <laughs> this stuff. This is crazy. So they had put Rolly in the um where, where Walt would be at the head of the table. Rolly would be behind him behind the door as the door was opened. So they figured Walt wouldn't see him. But so everybody did their presentations and Walt said, well, what about Rolly back there? And that's when Rolly did his presentation. They tried to divert Walt's attention so that he wouldn't see it. So Rolly said, I'm not sure, Walt, but I feel that unless we put something in that's different, the Haunted Mansion is just going to be the same old thing. And and Walt then just said, I'm out of here. <laughs> and then um, the, the next morning, Rolly came into work and Walt was sitting at Rolly's desk, still in the same suit he had worn yesterday. You son of a bitch, Walt said. That damn stuff drove me crazy all night long. But now I know how to use it. And Walt described an idea for inside the mansion's entrance with a separate entrance and exit from the main show as a museum of the weird, an area showcasing an unnerving display of oddities from all over the world. Guests could spend as much time as they wanted there. And this idea was chosen by Walt over other concepts, including a haunted restaurant, which would have been built into the attraction similar to the Blue Bayou restaurant in Pirates of the Caribbean. I would love it if they ever found out a way to build that restaurant. Oh my gosh, that'd be neat. It would be. Now, Rolly had submitted over a 100 ideas for the Haunted Mansion since he had begun working on the show in the late 1950s. Now he began developing some of them for the Walt-approved Museum of the Weird. One of Rolly's ideas included a gypsy wagon that was similar to the It's a Small World clock that would come to life every so often and put on a show. Flames would shoot out, doors would fly open, and bells would ring. The seance room of Wally's design would have talking furniture, floating chandeliers, marble busts that followed guests' every move, and old family paintings that changed before guests' eyes. Although the concept of the haunted mansion would go through another significant change, resulting in the cancellation of the Museum of the Weird, many of Rolly's concepts and designs would be included in the attraction's final design. 
So work on the mansion was delayed yet again in 1965 when Walt turned Wed's attention to bringing the World's Fair shows back to Disneyland. Then two other projects were given priority over the Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean and the redesign of Tomorrowland. However, the biggest obstacle to the Haunted Mansion project came on December 15, 1966, with the passing of Walt Disney. Walt Disney Productions lost its guiding creative force and the visionary who had the final approval on everything that bore his name. And in the case of the Haunted Mansion, the Wed Imagineers lost the one person who could resolve creative differences. Walt's passing and the loss of his final approval had a serious effect on the Haunted Mansion, which had now been in development for 10 years. Richard Irvine, who is now the WED Vice President of Design, believed there were two Imagineers who could guide the Haunted Mansion project to completion. The collaboration of Mark Davis and Claude Coates had resulted in creating the enormously successful Pirates of the Caribbean. This attraction and the partnering of Davis and Coates was a testament to Walt's ability to build winning creative teams. So after seeing the results of their collaboration on the Pirates attraction, Irvine understandably expected their success to continue with the Haunted Mansion. But what Irvine did not anticipate was that as a result of the success of Pirates of the Caribbean, both Mark and Claude believed they should be the one to take the creative lead on the Haunted Mansion. So rather than continuing their successful partnership that created the Pirates attraction, the final design of the Haunted Mansion was wrought with creative tension between Mark and Claude. Their differences in their visions for the Haunted Mansion led to one of the greatest debates to ever take place in WED. Should the mansion be scary or funny? Mark and those who agreed with his approach believed ghosts in themselves were scary enough, so the show should be lightened up. Claude and other equally vocal designers believe guests would expect some seriously scary moments in an attraction named the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> Ultimately, Mark... It's in the name. Come yeah, on. really. <laughs> and that, that was one of their arguments. So ultimately, Mark's vision had the greater emphasis in the mansion. However, their creative differences did result in two completely different experiences within the mansion. The first half of the show focuses on the environment, a reflection of Claude's experience as a background artist. This first half of the experience is a little more ominous and scary, without any characters. The second half of the experience, which includes the ballroom, or it was called the Grand Hall when it was first built, and the graveyard, relies less on strong set designs and is filled with Mark Davis's whimsical characters and sight gags. These distinctively different approaches are some of the reasons why the Haunted Mansion doesn't have a linear storyline like Peter Pan or Splash Mountain. The show ended up being a collection of characters, scenes, sets, illusions, and special effects. It was now up to the show writer Exitensio to bring it all together. So whilst the debate about whether the Haunted Mansion should be funny or scary was going on, another decision was being debated within WED. Should the mansion be a walkthrough 
or a wide-through attraction. Dick Nunes, the director of Disneyland, was pushing for a ride-through after the success of Pirates of the Caribbean. Nunes wanted to get as many people through the mansion per hour as possible. Exitentio said, we called Dick Hopalong Capacity. <laughs> so and for our younger listeners who are like under the age of 50 um that was a that was sort of a a, a take on an old western actor whose name was hopalong cassidy that was Go- great google him <laughs> um the Imagineers began to consider ways to make the Haunted Mansion a ride-through attraction. Yale Gracie even designed a plan for a boat ride through an old plantation house partially submerged in the bayou. All these debates and delays over the mansion's design did have one positive result. By 1969, Imagineer Bob Gurr had designed the Omnimover system that had been installed in Monsanto's adventure through inner space in the new Tomorrowland. The Omnimover was a descendant of the Ford's Magic Skyway at the New York World's Fair and the new Wedway People Mover in Tomorrowland. With the Omnimover and advances in audio animatronics that resulted from the New York World's Fair, the concept of a walkthrough for the mansion was dropped in favor of a ride-through. This sent the Imagineers back to the drawing board because many of the illusions and special effects that had been designed for a walkthrough haunted mansion now had to be reworked for a ride-through haunted mansion. Some elements, like Rolly Crump's Museum of the Weird, were dropped entirely. Another effect the success of Pirates of the Caribbean would have on the Haunted Mansion is the inclusion of a memorable theme song. Exitensio's Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me, lightened up some potentially questionable subject matter in that attraction and made it family-friendly. X took the same approach to the mansion as he did with Pirates and wrote light-hearted lyrics to Grim Grinning Ghosts, which was also titled The Screaming Song. The lyrics were set to music by Disney studio composer Buddy Baker. Show writer Exitensio's main task was to take Mark Davis's humorous characters and vignettes, Claude Coates' ominous settings, Rolly Crump and Yale Gracie's creepy illusions and special effects, and combine them into a story that made sense. Exitensio recalled, We tried at the beginning of having a raven be the ghost host who would be your guide through the mansion, but it didn't work. The raven's small size made it difficult to see him amidst the elaborate sets and special effects. So X dropped the raven in favor of the disembodied ghost host that had been in a number of the mansion story treatment over the years. But when you ride through the mansion, every time you hear the ghost host speak, look around and you will see a raven in that scene. So that's a holdover from this raven as your guide. Okay, because I've seen the raven in various um, locations, but I never paid attention. So that's very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, X then took the scenes on which David and Coates were collaborating and arranged them logically in relation to the mansion's physical layout and the experience's emotional construction. So X kept coming back to Walt Disney's original concept for the mansion as a retirement home for displaced spirits to spend their afterlives happily haunting any unsuspecting guest who wanders by. So in the end... 
With all the divergent work of Mark Davis and Claude Coates, The Haunted Mansion had a pretty solid three-act structure. Act one begins slowly and ominously in the foyer, where guests anticipate the appearance of the happy haunts and experience poltergeist activity and unseen spirits. Madame Leota provides the curtains separating Acts 1 and 2 by conjuring up spirits and encouraging them to materialize, which they do in the ballroom and the attic. The descent from the attic window into the graveyard takes guests into Act 3, where they are completely surrounded by ghosts in their graveyard jamboree. Finally, one of three hitchhiking ghosts, affectionately known by guests as Gus, Ezra, and Phineas, appear beside guests in their doom buggy as they exit. But the show was not over. As guests ascended the speed ramp toward the exit at New Orleans Square, a small figure named Little Leota, with a projected face like the singing busts, encouraged guests to return. The final gag epitomized the playful nature of the design team. As guests exited at the turnstiles, hidden up in the wall was a small speaker over which evil laughter could be heard. The Imagineers allowed the mansion to have the last laugh. As the 1960s drew to an end, the Haunted Mansion was finally entering its final phase of development. Mark and Claude combined their characters and sets into finished um, show scenes. X put the final touches on a show script that brought together a stretching portrait chamber, endless corridors, a disembodied spirit in a crystal ball, a jilted bride pining for her long-lost groom even in death, and a graveyard jamboree. Imagineers Blaine Gibson and Waithel Rogers gave life to the happy haunts through the art of sculpture and audio animatronics and Yale Gracie put the finishing touches on special effects and illusions that had been in development for more than 10 years. On the other side of Disneyland's berm, a construction crew was erecting the huge show building that would house the attraction. For guests who had been waiting for the Haunted Mansion to open since it had been constructed six long years ago, Wild rumors about the mansion had begun to be passed around. The most well-known urban legend is that a reporter had suffered a heart attack in the mansion because it was too scary, so it had to be shut down. This rumor may have resulted from the first soft opening or shakedown of the mansion that enabled the Imagineers to perform a run-through of the attraction. They then shut the mansion down to make adjustments before opening it to the public. But all the rumors, misinformation, and delays worked to the Haunted Mansion's advantage. After 18 years of off-again and on-again development and six years of anticipation created by the empty Haunted Mansion sitting in New Orleans Square on the shores of the Rivers of America, the Haunted Mansion finally welcomed its first foolish mortals through its doors on August 9th, 1969. It was the most anticipated premiere in Disneyland's history. Disneyland set a single-day attendance record of 82,516 guests one week after the Haunted Mansion opened. The Haunted Mansion is home to 999 happy haunts. However, there was one who disappeared shortly after the Haunted Mansion opened. 
The bride is not the only spirit to occupy the attic. Another figure joined her for a very short time, who became known as the Hatbox Ghost. It was removed shortly after the debut of The Haunted Mansion. The Hatbox Ghost was designed by Mark Davis and developed by Yale Gracie. He had a skeletal face, a shiny gold tooth, a thickly bunched coat, and carried a cane in one hand and a hatbox in the other. As originally conceived by Yale Gracie, guests would come upon the hatbox ghost who was standing behind an iron grate, and a flicker of light would create the effect that the ghost's head would disappear from its body and reappear in the hatbox. The effect was supposed to be seamless, but the placement of the ride vehicle in relation to the unwieldy figure, plus the ambient light that filtered into the attraction, muddied the illusion. It wasn't a Pepper's ghost effect exactly like the dancing ghosts in the ballroom, but a simple lighting trick. The main ghost's head was illuminated by a black light, whilst the head inside the hat box was lit with a tiny spotlight. The illusion took place when one light would go down and the other was illuminated. Or at least that was what was supposed to happen. Less than a month had passed before the hat box ghost was quietly moved fr- removed from the attraction. The 131 Doom Buggy Omnimovers built for the Haunted Mansion could hold two or three guests who could be seated in each vehicle from a moving walkway every three seconds. Up to 2,618 guests could ride the 786-foot long track every hour. According to the official Disneyland press release from 1969, the Haunted Mansion cost $7 million to develop and build. The Haunted Mansion became an instant favorite with guests and remains so today. It has become a franchise attraction and successfully developed at all Disney Magic Kingdom parks around the world. But the Haunted Mansion wasn't the only change to take place in Disneyland in 1969. Over in Tomorrowland, guests were able to ride the latest monorail technology. The Mark III monorail began operation on a brand new air-cushioned chassis. It was lighter, had more power than the Mark I and Mark II with four 100 power traction motors. The Mark III was more easily accessible and offered a better view. The trains were extended to 137 feet, allowing for five car trains with room for 127 guests. The loading platforms at Tomorrowland and the Disneyland Hotel had to be extended to accommodate the longer trains. The cost to upgrade the Mark III was $2.3 million. Tomorrowland also experienced a more subtle change when fantasy became a reality. Med had been going to the moon at Disneyland since 1955. On July 20th, 1969, the United States achieved the same feat with the moon landing of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. 1969 was a huge success for Disneyland. The park had attracted more than 85 million guests since it opened in 1955. 9.3 million of those guests passed through the turnstiles just in 1969. The end of the 1960s marked the end of Walt's Disneyland. The park would become even more dependent on consensus by a group of talented individuals who had worked with Walt Disney. Some would be paralyzed by trying to guess what would Walt do. 
others would flourish in their new freedom. Well, welcome back. Well, step out of your doom buggy. Because, Craig, it's time for This Week in Disney History. Okay, well, here we are for the week of October 6th. So, Craig, now that, um, you know, now you must be in Halloween and fall spirit <laughs> after listening to that episode. Yeah. So, so let, let's see what... Uh, what uh, what adventures await this week in Disney history? So, on October 6, 1927, Walt Disney watches the preview of a Warner Brothers film and decides to add audio to his cartoons. What is the name of this film? I believe it would be The Jazz Singer. That is correct, right? One of the first films to feature sound. Yes. Mm-hmm. There you go, October 7th. What new land opened at Disney's California Adventure on October 7th, 2002? Uh, okay, I think I think if I remember correctly, this would have been a Bugs Land, because that was the only one that really wasn't open when the park opened. You're right, yep. And it was based on the 1998 Disney Pixar film, A Bug's Life, and it was built adjacent to the Bountiful Valley Farm in the Golden State area, all of which has passed into Disney California Adventure history. Yes, but we have the Avengers Campus to look forward to, which is also awesome. True, and of course, hey, throwback to Bug's Life, you know, it's featuring Spider-Man. Yeah, in oh, that, and bug. then Ant-Man as well, too, so... That's right. There you go. So they're they're keeping the insect theme going. There. Exactly, especially with the uh, the shrinking with Ant Man too. So shrinking mm. down to the size of a bug, or well, the food is, and also getting blown up. So <laughs> it's loose. <laughs> I wonder. You know how they always have a homage to whatever they've replaced. I wonder where where we're going to find Flick. Yeah, I was. I I'm wondering that too. When I was just out in California, one of the coolest parts was I was able to. Uh, be transported by golf cart back and forth uh, between Disneyland and in California Adventure, and I didn't. I never knew the road that connected both of those parks existed because it's really well hidden by hedges and and you go down under a tunnel. But the the one nice part is when you get into the California Adventure area that's like right behind uh, right behind Guardians of the Galaxy and and. Uh, that entire area, they have all of the Bugs Life statues that were scattered throughout a Bugs Land. They're all just oh. out there on display, so they are still they're still safe and at at Disney California Adventure, just oh, you know, good. not on stage. So, yeah, good. I'm glad they saved those. Me, me too. I I love. Yeah. I've had pictures of all of them, but it's nice to know that they they still exist. <laughs> okay, now October eighth. The first Disney theme park ride from a Marvel franchise is announced for a Disney theme park on October 8th, 2013. What is the name of the attraction and where will it be built? Oh, now I want to say that it wouldn't be even though my mind went immediately to Guardians, I think it was actually the Iron Man ride first that's in Hong Kong. You're 
Absolutely right. Very good. The Iron Man experience, and it's based, of course, on the highly successful Iron Man series of films, and it will open in 2016 at Hong Kong Disneyland. And I went on this, and I had very low expectations because I thought, you know, it's basically a repurposed Star Tours Mm -hmm. attraction. Mm -hmm. It was great. It was well done. You have to go through the queue because the queue sets the story for it. And uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I think I went on it a couple of times. Yeah, I, yeah, it was really clever. I hope I have the chance to experience it one day. So it's yeah. it intrigues me. So I just it's one of those ones. Wish it could be over here in in the United States, but totally understand why it can't. So. Yeah, but I um yeah when they finish the expansion of all the Asian parks, I really want to go back. Yeah, to see um, what they've done. Yeah, that's that's how I feel to since i didn't make it out there before they started tearing apart hong kong and now adding all this stuff to tokyo and you know it's shanghai still being shanghai i feel like now my plans are pushed back a couple more years but who knows that could change because the more i see i know it's not disney related but the more i see of uh the super nintendo world coming together in in japan at universal studios there it's I, I don't know if I can wait for it to come to the United States. It looks amazing. It does. Actually, Universal Studios, I don't know what I was watching or reading or something. It's very impressive, their Universal Studios out there. Yeah, yeah. No, it's. I, I think it's very similar to uh, to the Disney parks in, in Japan as well. It's just having, having the uh, outside companies in there just really helps it to thrive. So. Mm-hmm. Japanese culture is good for theme parks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They well, they love them. Yeah. yeah. Okay, October 9th, the very first Disney Channel television film debuted on October 9th, nineteen eighty-three. What was the name of the film? Oh, that's that is a good question. I watched this. I remember it. It was on the cover of the Disney mm. Channel magazine. I. I will be honest, I don't even have a guess. So I am not sure at all. It was called Tiger Town, and the film stars Roy Scheider as an aging baseball Hmm. player for the Detroit Tigers, and Justin Henry, you know, from E.T., as a young fan who believes in him. Tiger manager Sparky Anderson, who is managing the team in real life, appears frequently throughout the film, as does Mary Wilson, a former Supreme, singing the national anthem. And this is a good film. I, this again, this is some of the stuff I'm really hoping will make its way to Disney Plus someday. Hmm. Yeah, no, uh, it's I never heard of it at all, but I love Roy Scheider, so mm-hmm. who doesn't? <laughs> I know. Okay, October 10th. On October 10th, 1957, Walt Disney's third television series debuted on ABC TV. What is the name of this series? Third with that. Okay, so. So Disneyland was number one. Mickey Mouse was two. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say Zorro. You're absolutely right. Very good. Yeah, it debuted with the episode Presenting Senor Zorro. The New Adventure series stars Guy Williams in a dual 
role of Zorro and Don Diego. Henry Calvin is Sergeant Demetrio Lopez Garcia. Gene Sheldon is Bernardo. And George J. Lewis is Don Alejandro. Zorro, which is Spanish for fox, is the story of a masked rider who battles the unjust rulers of the Pueblo of Los Angeles during the days of Spanish rule. Again, another series I hope makes it to Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I uh, maybe one day. I mean, I know they'll they'll probably have the movie on at least, so start out that way. But uh, uh, hopefully, one day the full series is on there. I hope so. Yeah, that these are this is all the reasons why I'm subscribing. Is my hope that all of this comes back and the documentaries. Well, that it's doing. Uh, like the joke I made last week. It just put it on every single night before you go to bed and let it run in the background. <laughs> Let's screw up their analytics. Yeah. And finally, October 11th, these Disney family characters made their first network television appearance on the Steve Allen Show on October 11th, 1956. Which characters were they? That would be, starting on Steve Allen, uh, it would be Muppet characters. That's right. Very good. The Muppets. Yeah, I always have to throw a Muppet question in there. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Oh, oh, and October 12th. More than 23,000 Disney fans from all across Japan gather on October 12th, 2013 to attend what event at the Tokyo Disneyland Resort? I am... I'm going to have to say that it was probably their their first D23 Expo. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it would be held for three days. I don't remember if we, we had someone... Maybe it was on the... Disneyland show. We had somebody on that talked about this, and it was uh, it wasn't all in one place. They had to go all over, like to different hotels and different locations, oh. all within the space of like ten minutes in between, fifteen minutes in between some of these things. Wow! So I think it was our correspondent it, that that we've used for Tokyo Disneyland was telling me about that. Hmm. So um, that that it was sort of crazy. Yeah, but they only they've only done it one more time since then, right? Or has it been twice more? Uh, Oh gosh, that I don't know. So, but anyway, you did very well. Yeah, yeah, easy week, easy easy week. Yes. So, Craig, what do you enjoy most about the haunted mansion? I, that's a loaded question. So, I, I, I think about this actually kind of a lot, especially uh, this time of year with Disneyland because of the the transformation into to Nightmare Before Christmas and the Haunted Mansion holiday overlay. Uh, I, to me, it's just. You still really can't find it anywhere else in its perfected form like it is in Disney parks, you know. it's. Uh, I, I do think that there's plenty of other attractions out there that that are sophisticated and technologically, you know, it might be simple in some aspects, but still are super impressive. But this actual, this attraction feels like the culmination of practical effects, music lighting set design everything put together in one 
and it's you don't you don't find perfection very often in anything but it's it is one of those attractions you you have to step back and say it pretty much is perfect in every way and it's just I love that it can go from being when you can you're a kid and you ride it you might be afraid for the first time and then then you just go through this entire transformation and as an adult you appreciate it for what it is and you know i'm i'm looking forward one day to having kids and and terrifying them on it and see (laughs) see their reaction to this stuff so it's it's just so unique and yeah it's it's impossible not to love anyone i wouldn't trust a person if they said that they don't love haunted mansion (laughs) yeah i i enjoy it too for for all the same reasons, I think the level of detail in there is amazing. Um, I I like that it's you become a franchise attraction, but it's in a different location in every park. I do like the variations of it, like you know Mystic Manor and Phantom Manor. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Phantom Manor is like at Disneyland Paris. Yeah, it was um, it was not open while I was there, so it was under. Under its very long refurb that it just went through, and so uh, I I still haven't been able to check that off my list. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. When, yeah. When my parents wrote it, they said it was awesome that they loved it. So. Yeah, and apparently it's scary. Yeah. It's, there's not a lot of humor in it like ours. Yeah. But, nice. But, nice change. Yeah. So. I and you know I often wonder though what would it have been like if Walt had you know lived and had more of a guiding hand in it because you know that was an attraction that was sort of there was a lot of arguing over it it was sort of a committee yeah. kind of thing and and but um yeah so it would have been interesting to see yeah. what what would have happened with it but yeah I agree. I think it's just an incredible incredible attraction yeah so no i i'm right there with you and yeah i don't know part of me wants to say that it would have still turned out very similar to how we we actually have it today because it it really is i, I mean it it follows suit so well with even pirates where where you have this more serious and in sinister tone at the beginning and then that leads to a little bit more of the humorous and lighthearted aspects of it. And Haunted Mansion kind of does the exact same thing. So if maybe it would have ended up a lot more differently if, if Walt could have had more of a, a hand in it. But at the same time, too, it's it, they kind of, you know, they had a little bit of a blueprint going in, at least, to, to, to nail certain aspects of it. And, and they clearly did. So yeah, and haunted mansion like pirates uh, and a few other attractions of its day. The, that's what set mm-hmm. Disneyland apart from everything else, every other entertainment experience that was out there at the yeah. time. And it, in a way, it still does to this day too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. So Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on the different shows on the Diz Unplugged Podcast Network, but anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. Michael, what about you? Well, you can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Check out the one with the Connecting with Walt banner. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. You can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at 
Connecting Walt. And of course, if you bump into me at any of the in London or Paris, please be sure to say hello. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at DisneyUnplugged.com or go to the link that Craig has in our show notes and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. 